I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Before we start today, I just wanted to let you know that the RHS has decided to postpone the 2021 RHS Chelsea Flower Show due to the worldwide pandemic. The show will now take place from the 21st to 26th of September and will still be held at the Royal Hospital Chelsea. We will also be holding a virtual event in May, much like last year's on the original show dates. For more information, head to rhs.org.uk forward slash Chelsea. For me, it's the idea, essentially, of observing nature and mimicking it in our growing spaces and by doing that, reducing waste, trying to work in harmony with nature and creating diverse habitats that are also edible. It's a very different way of looking at the world because it includes people, plants and the environment that encompasses us all. So it's kind of all-consuming, really. Permaculture for me is a very creative thing. You're never done learning about permaculture. You're never done learning about plant combinations. I'm Guy Barter and welcome to Gardening with the RHS. In today's show, we're talking about a way of gardening that has the natural world at its core, permaculture. Made up of several guiding principles in its simplest form, it's about creating self-sustaining ecosystems in your garden that reflect the natural world. Permaculture was invented in the 1970s. I was very young in the 1970s and heavily into all the self-sufficiency and grow-at-home sort of things that were all the rage at that time. So I've been following the development of permaculture in various permutations over the decades and I'm really looking forward to this podcast. Poppy Okocha is a grower who specialises in permaculture here in the UK. I thought she'd be a good person to start with. So I first came across the idea of permaculture, wow, several years ago. I was basically on a kind of hunt to find any kind of alternative growing practices that went beyond organic and sort of went into a more holistic, bigger picture of working in harmony with nature. And I suppose somewhere along that searching, I found permaculture. But the first time I saw it being practiced in a way that was just mind-blowing was when I went to India and I went to a food forest in Auroville, which is something that's very often practiced in permaculture settings. It's when you grow many, many plants together mimicking the structure of a forest 
but it's actually also something that's been practiced for a really long time by indigenous cultures all over the world. So in an orchard, for example, you might include bulbs like daffodils as ground cover because they're not going to be competing with the actual fruiting crops, but they're going to be protecting the soil surface and they're also going to be attracting pollinators into the space. So it means that you're going to potentially get a better crop from your fruit trees as well as also protecting and preserving the um, structure of the soil that the trees are growing in. And so this was in an experimental community in India and the guy who was in charge of it was just like so amazing. He understood and knew every single plant that was in this forest, even though it just looked like a crazy muddle. And it was feeding so many people, creating so many jobs and also reinvigorating the landscape. So it was super inspiring. And from that moment on, I was like, okay, there's something good going on here. So three things that work from permaculture really well and a lot of people do in the UK is firstly the idea of mimicking the natural world. So we might look at soil and see that in nature it's always covered. And so a really easy thing to do, which is following permaculture principles, is to keep your soil covered at all times. And that really preserves the structure of the soil, keeps the water from evaporating. And so keeping a soil covered with living mulches or even manure or straw, whatever it is, is a really easy way of incorporating permaculture principles, which a lot of people do in the UK. Another principle that a lot of people incorporate into their growing spaces in the UK is the idea of embracing diversity. So that's growing companion plants. It's just trying to expand the diversity of our growing spaces. So, for example, you might have a section of herbs in your garden and you might have a section of vegetables. Why not incorporate those two? And those plants will benefit from each other's company. And in the UK, we also oftentimes suffer from a lot of shade. And so permaculture, when we look at food forests, is a really great sort of example for how to deal with shady spaces, damp, shady spaces, like a sort of forest situation. So incorporating a lot of shade-loving plants like aquilisia or Solomon seal, which are also edible, that's something that a lot of UK growers also do. The thing with permaculture is that it's actually just common sense. (laughs) somebody had a lot of good common sense and put it in a book and a lot of us already have that common sense the useful thing about permaculture is that it actually explicitly spells out the common sense so even though it might be at the back of your mind you might not quite have grasped it sometimes people have this feeling of like oh yeah that's put into words a feeling I've had for ages so that's the thing that I find useful about permaculture it really just succinctly explains really obvious things which most of us kind of already do or have thought about and sort of explains and puts them into black and white. And, you know, as I was saying, it's not rocket science. It's something that has been practised by so many cultures and communities all over the world for so long. This idea of working in harmony with nature, this idea of including diversity in the growing space, of using renewable resources, of reducing waste, all of these things are really well practised by so many communities around the world. The community side of it, really, I think, is has been the most exciting or empowering part of it obviously also learning about how the natural world works because a big part of permaculture is unpicking natural landscapes so that we can mimic them because you know nature is the most incredibly sustainable thing and so that's also been really inspiring just understanding the design of the natural world it just sort of manages to tick over on its own (laughs) if you just leave a space alone it will 
come to life in ways that are just so incredible. And that is equal parts inspiring and awe-inspiring and also somehow comforting because I think as gardeners, sometimes we have this feeling where we're like, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that. This plant won't be able to survive without me. But actually, these plants do pretty well when we step back as well. <laughs> I think the first things that I'd say you, you could do in your garden to sort of start tiptoeing towards permaculture is make sure you have a compost heap because that means that you're cycling nutrients within your space. It means you don't have to bring nutrients from off-site into your growing space. It means that everything that is on your land stays on your land and is cycled back into the system. So that's reducing waste and also mimicking the natural cycle of nature where everything kind of rots back into the system. I'd also say explore leaving some of your weeds alone because some weeds are really... Well, they're incredible herbs and you can make like yummy teas out of them. Some of them are really beautiful. They're great for pollinators. And a lot of the time they're actually doing really useful things in your growing space. For example, maybe breaking up compaction with their roots or keeping ground covered. So definitely explore. If you've got a little patch in the corner of your garden that keeps getting covered in nettles, maybe leave the nettles be <laughs> because they're delicious and um, a really great habitat for insects. Let the wild in a little bit. <laughs> Something that you'll often hear permaculturists say is that when you kind of look at a problem, you really want to be looking at the solution. So you might go, OK, I've got loads and loads of slugs. What am I going to do? Do I want to go out every night with my torch and pick them off the leaves? Not really. So a lot of permaculturists will say, well, actually, you haven't got a slug problem. You've got a duck problem. If you get ducks into your growing space, they'll eat the slugs for you. And then you also get eggs. So this is like a really beautiful demonstration of how if you just add another element, if you diversify then problems can be dealt with in a way that you don't have to be so hands-on. You kind of create a natural ecosystem. Poppia cocha. Permaculture isn't a big scary thing that's unattainable for home gardeners, and it's not just for professionals. It has loads of benefits. In fact... From Poppy's words, I seem to be something of a permaculture gardener already, with my fruit trees and compost bins and cover crops. I've looked at a lot of permaculture gardens over the years, and I rather think the best ones, the ones that I find most convincing, have been suburban permaculture gardens, where people replace the lawn and the rockery with loads of edible plants, ranging from trees through climbers down to things like rhubarb and asparagus, and that sort of scale, it works really well, so I'm looking forward to seeing more of this sort of thing. At the RHS, we're looking at using permaculture in our gardens. At the soon-to-open RHS Garden Bridgewater, we've built a forest garden, which is an example of an element of the permaculture principles in action. Sylvia Travers helped build it and is now a team leader at the garden. Permaculture is a massive, diverse discipline and way of looking at the world, indeed. It looks at the whole relationship between humans and plants and the planet. And we have taken one element of this whole system, forest gardening, and brought it to Bridgewater to create a space that hopefully will look beautiful, but also inspire other people to take a little bit of that away with them and grow it at home. The garden itself is about a third to a half of an acre, it's divided into beds with paths surrounding them and 
within it there, there are, are numerous standard trees planted to give a bit of structure and height. So you've got things like crab apples, there's medlar, there's xanthus island, which is the Szechuan pepper tree, there's alder, and there's various cornus cultivars in there too. And they give a bit of structure and height to this relatively new garden. And underneath all that, you've got all the other layers of planting, be it smaller shrubs, there's some sweet chestnut in there. Below that, again, we've got climbers, we've also got um, herbaceous perennials like sweet Sicily, sorrel, meadow sweet, all those sort of things that give you these layers, which is what we're trying to mimic is essentially a forest. Bridgewater is very much a chance for the RHS to create a brand new garden. All the other RHS gardens were either um, you know, donated or bequeathed as existing gardens. So this very much was a blank canvas for us, even though it was a garden many years ago. But we have literally built it from the ground up. So it was a chance to be a little different because it's um, a thing that should be more familiar and is a very feasible way of gardening for a lot of people. You know, you can do it on a large scale, but you can also do it in one little corner of your garden. It's a really interesting way of growing because it kind of gets away from this formality and very strict lines and rows that we've, you know, I've been taught as a kitchen gardener to grow things. I guess it's just a twist on something that we know in terms of we're all familiar with woodlands and, and forests. We're all familiar with growing fruit and veg and herbs and flowers, but also just putting those two things together and making everyone realise that actually these things aren't so far apart. They're very much part of the same thing. We're just doing things a bit differently. I think it's something that really will get people thinking about how they use their gardens because a lot of people were coming interested indeed in growing food and people think, oh, you know, I don't have a big garden to grow all this stuff, but I like my trees and I like my flowers and, and how to twin the two together of getting something that gives you something back, edible or flowers for your, for your vases and your kitchen, whilst also giving you a, a full bed of plants and, and making really efficient use of small spaces. And the beds in the kitchen garden are of various sizes, so that some of them are only a couple of metres wide, whereas others are 20, 30 metres long. So you can be as big or as little as you want it to be. There's something there for everyone. And indeed, you can have a little forest garden in a pot, actually, if, you know, you can put a, a shrub and a few lower-growing plants around it and some ground cover in there and some trailing plants. So it's not exclusively limited to a, a larger area. Permaculture is absolutely rooted in science, but actually, you know, science is based on what nature does. You have to remember that science and nature are, depend on each other. They're not dichotomous things. They're one in each other, so that you can't separate them. So whatever nature does informs science in a way. There's an awful lot of academic research looking into the interactions of plants and, and other plants with each other, be it chemical communication under the ground, the way that plants contribute to the surrounding ecology in terms of, of uh, nutrition, fixing nitrogen, leaf mulch. It's been given this label of being hippie, you know, and it was definitely hippie when I studied it 20 years ago, but now it's absolutely embraced by you know, some hardcore farmers out there who would probably have been quite sceptical of it years ago. But the benefits of it speak for themselves, and it's something that's been going on from you know, in nature for eons. So we're just harnessing that in a way and nudging it in a way that makes it useful to us. I think the RHS is trying to, with this plot, and it is quite a radical departure for the RHS, actually, because I'll give you an example. Nettles are quite a contentious issue for many gardeners, and traditionally they've spent long hours pulling them out or adding weed killer or things like that to them. But we have had special dispensation 
from the RHS to include nettles in this forest garden because nettles are an essential element of a woodland. They create habitat, peacock butterfly caterpillars feed on them. They're an excellent source of nitrogen, you know, and ask any gardener about nettle tea. But also they can be made into rope. Their fibres are really strong. So it's kind of showing the public that nettles aren't the demon that we've often labelled them as. So I think it's a really interesting learning experience for everybody and also a stretch and a little bit scary, I think, for some people. When people come to Bridgewater in May, they will see a forest garden that's just beginning on its, the road to becoming a woodland. It's a very young garden. We have got some big trees in there now just to give us a bit of a head start. But it's something that, like any woodland, is, is evolving and will change as the years go on. And we will tweak it and add plants and hopefully grow mushrooms under the canopies when they establish a bit more. But they will see a wealth of plants that they're familiar with in their own gardens and allotments, but put together in a way that they may not have expected. They will see a very highly productive space. And I hope it will inspire people to try and do a little bit of it at home, be it on a larger scale or a small scale, or even in a corner of their allotment. Permaculture and, and forest gardening is still on the fringes and I'm keen to make it a bit more popular and particularly now we're on this wave of people wanting to grow their own food. And it essentially is just another way of growing food, another way of looking at the world. And it would be really nice to be able to bring that a bit more into focus and for people to realise that it's possible. You don't need a forest to do it, that it can be done on a very small scale. Sylvia Travers. I'm really looking forward to this garden at Bridgewater. Permaculture is not as easy as it looks. It's not do-nothing gardening. It requires careful management to make sure the taller plants don't rob the smaller ones of moisture and light and that the weeds don't take over and smother the useful crops. Weeds can be useful, of course, but so can other things and that you have to strike a balance. Really looking forward to see how Sylvia gets to grips with this. And I think the public are too. They'll be able to come and see a permaculture garden that's done as well as it can be and be able to make their own minds up about this system of gardening. You'll be able to see the RHS Garden Bridgewater for yourself when it opens later this year. Permaculture is a worldwide movement. Next, we're heading to the Netherlands to meet our final grower who's made it part of their practice for the past two decades. My name is Vera Groting. I'm a permaculture gardener, designer, teacher and author based in the Netherlands. In uh, 1999, I met somebody who had just done the permaculture design course in Australia, because permaculture uh, hails from Australia. And she was very enthusiastic. And for me, the way she talked about it, it immediately clicked. And then I just started putting it into practice. And I think that's the way you learn. You really learn about the principles. I think that permaculture is for everyone, hopefully. <laughs> I think one thing that puts people off is that uh, many permaculture gardens look quite chaotic, but it's maybe unlike many permaculture designers, I feel that permaculture garden 
can maybe even should be beautiful as well. So I also look at things like autumn coloring in uh, plants and I include a lot of flowering plants for pollinating insects. And those are important functions in a permaculture garden, but you can also look at things like color. And if you do that, if you design beautiful gardens, which are ecologically sound and uh, resilient, that will make it accessible and palatable to more people, I think. The way most of our food is grown at present is in large-scale monocultures. And obviously that's a, an invitation for pests and disease problems. So the polyculture is the opposite. It's combining different plants, different edible plants, herbs and vegetables together into quite complicated systems usually. And what it does is prevents disease and pest problems if you design it well, it will give you a larger overall yield than when you grow just one kind of plant. And it will also spread the harvest over a longer period of time. So I think that's something that's very interesting for home gardeners. One of the polycultures that I design is a Mexican polyculture because I also like to have fun with my polycultures and give them a theme. And this was a polyculture inspired by the Mexican cuisine. So it's a combination of corn, beans, tomatillos, chilies, Mexican marigolds, sunflowers and zinnias. That means that you have plants for five different plant families, I think. You have plants that are nitrogen fixers, the beans. You have plants that attract pollinators, like the zinnias. You have plants that attract hoverflies, which are, again, beneficial insects. Their larvae eat aphids. So... You have a very diverse yield, you have a beautifully looking, colorful bed, and it gives you a lot of harvest over a longer period of time, and uh, you will have very little pest and disease problems if you grow in this manner. We really need permaculture at this point, and when I started, the effects of climate change were not as visible on gardens, but I think the last years it's becoming very obvious that we will have to garden in different ways and that we have to try to make our gardens and our food production more sustainable and more resilient to climate change. And I think permaculture is a very useful tool to do that. When you garden against nature, and again, we can look at our large-scale food production, usually what we grow are annual plants and in nature annual plants are pioneer plants and they are very quickly succeeded by perennial plants and stable ecosystems are usually consist of mostly perennial plants. So when most of our food production is annual plants in large-scale monocultures we're really fighting against nature and that means that we have to use a lot of resources and a lot of effort to be able to grow in this way. When you grow food in something like a food forest, you're taking the idea of a natural ecosystem in our climate, which would be woodland or wood, but you're planting it with edible plants mostly, with fruit trees, nut trees, soft fruit bushes, perennial herbs, perennial vegetables. And that is, for me, growing with nature. So if we need to produce food, and we do, of course, there are a lot of people and we need a lot of food, then we need to design systems that provide us with food, but they do it in a more sustainable way. 
and in a way that does not require us to eternally put in fertilizers, aerate the land, and, and so on. Permaculture is inspired by natural ecosystems, and natural ecosystems are what works. So designing with permaculture, gardening according to the permaculture principles, is gardening with nature instead of fighting against it. I think that's what we need to do. Thanks to Vera for joining us. We've been gardening and farming, as we do now for thousands of years, clearing the ground, digging it, adding fertilisers, growing crops, clearing them, digging it again, adding crops and so on. But the process of gardening with nature is relatively new. In farming, there's a thing called agroforestry, where trees are mixed with crops. There's permaculture in gardens. All these things are going to take time to hone to the same level of productivity and understanding as we have for our conventional practices. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this develops. Well, that's all for today. If you'd like to learn more about some of the ideas we've talked about in this programme, head to rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. And we've also put links in the show notes for this episode. Next time we'll be looking at the wildlife of our RHS gardens. When you think of RHS gardens, you know, you go and see a formal garden and then actually, you know, as soon as the door closes, you've got otters romping on the lawns. I mean, that's just marvellous, isn't it? But until then, from me, Guy Barter, it's goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.